0: It is so wonderful to see all of you here today. Uh, We're going to have a great time, not only in God's Word as we spend learning from the Lord, but also together as we go across the street and spend some time together getting to know one another. I encourage you to find someone you don't know today. Say So make it your goal. I'm going to find somebody that I haven't met to meet them, say hi to them, and find out at least one significant thing about their life. And one thing I appreciate so much about my wife is that whenever you meet my wife, you'll discover quickly that she's far more interested in you than she is in herself. And so she quickly goes after you to find out who you are and what you do and what you're about. And she will know more about you in 15 minutes than most people you know will know in 15 years. That's quite a statement, but it's one that I've recognized over and over. She's still trying to teach me that. I'm giving her my best shot. Today we're in John chapter 10, so I invite you to open your Bibles, turn them over to John chapter 10. If you're using your media or your phone or whatever, turn over to that. If your phone's on, I would encourage you to turn it off or at least just move it to buzz. Okay, if you're like me, when it vibrates, it doesn't do me any good because I have all these other parts of my body that are vibrating all the time. <laughs> and I mean, that's really a true statement. It's one of those, ay yay yay. Uh, God desires to teach us today to continue to give us an understanding about what it means to be a leader and a follower. What it means to be a leader and a follower. John has been teaching us about the marvelous reality of who Jesus is. So he's walked us now through nine chapters, verifying over and over again by the works that Jesus has done and by the words that he says that he is the one and only Son of God. That He is God himself in human form. Sent down here by the Father to clarify to us who God is and how we can have a relationship with the Father, have our sins forgiven, and begin to experience the freedom that he wants us to have on a regular basis in our life. Last week, we talked about the issue of blindness and seeing, and we had a line we used the whole week, and we hopefully using it this week, I know I was, and it was this, I once was blind, but... Yeah, but now I see and that pulls together that entire chapter. It's about blindness and seeing as people, whether it be physically blind, mentally blind, spiritually blind, whatever it is that God desires for us to see. But it only happens as we humbly come before him and ask him to open our eyes. And he does if we ask in humility today, Jesus is continuing on with that teaching. It's not a separation. He continues on with the teaching, but now he changes a bit in his direction to the leaders, who are these Pharisees, about their relationship with their followers or lack thereof. In it, Jesus begins to present to us the picture of a shepherd and sheep. And John continues to lay that concept out, even though there's actually about a two-month break, we'll come to that in a minute, between two sections dealing with this issue of shepherd and sheep. John so strongly gets a hold of this idea that he wants it to be imprinted on our hearts and our minds that Jesus is the good shepherd, the only true shepherd of our lives, and that he desires to gather his sheep in, which are all who are willing to follow. He impresses it upon us strongly and tries to help us understand that we, as God's children, need to learn how to... And here's our thing for today, okay? Our mantra for today. It's called, Listen for the Voice. Can you say that with me? Listen for the voice. Turn to the person next to you and say, Listen for the voice. And you go, What voice? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. What voice are we speaking to? Early on in Jesus' ministry, when it was first set apart by God the Father, it says that God spoke from heaven. His voice was audible, understandable, hearable. And he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It is the only time in all of Jesus' ministry that God speaks so that other people can hear. It's a verification of John the Baptist's ministry and a verification of Jesus' ministry. After he's baptized, he's raised up, and God speaks and says, This is my son. That voice, audible and clear here, is a voice that Jesus tells us we should be able to hear clearly and understandably in our own lives if we are his sheep. We'll understand the voice when it speaks to us Powerfully and kindly with comfort, and we'll understand the voice when it speaks to us with a sense of encouragement, and we'll also understand it when it speaks to us in a sense of rebuke. My mother used to say quite clearly to me, she'd use this, she would say, Lee Douglas Harrison, and I knew I was in big trouble. If you're using my entire name, I'm in big, big trouble. I was trying to sleek out the back way. Whenever I heard that, I tried to get away as quickly as I possibly could because I knew I was in trouble. When I heard that voice, I knew what it meant. Jesus says that we should, as his followers, be able to hear his voice and know what it means. There's another section of scripture. I want you to read it with me. It's found in Isaiah. And Isaiah puts it this way. It says, in relationship to God's followers, this is what will happen in relationship to Our desire to hear God, what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to respond. He says this, read it with me. Whether you turn to the right or turn to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. God desires to speak to us and he will speak. Our biggest problem is waiting to hear and then when we hear it, Often choosing not to respond. One of my favorite stories it was a guy, who was going down the 101. He was actually in a canyon section up around Point Arena, flying down the street in his Corvette. It was a convertible. Went off to the side, hit the corner, flew out of his car literally off the side of the cliff, went down. As he went down the cliff, he grabbed a hold of a branch, and it stopped his fall. He was like, oh, thank you, God. And he's holding on to this branch, and he starts crying out for help, and nobody's responding to him. Finally, he says, God, do you hear me? And he hears a voice saying, I hear you. He's like, wow, God, tell me what to do. And he said, let go of the branch. And he said, is anybody else up there? (laughs) And oftentimes in our lives, that's our struggle. You see, God tells us what to do. And we're like, is there another voice? Is there another direction? Is there something else to do? Now, let me give you a little bit of credit. Jesus does the same thing. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to God. Do you remember what he said? Father, not my will, but yours be done. Is there any way this cup can be removed from me? He says, and God says, let go of the branch. There's a far greater good to be done with you letting go of the branch than there is with you hanging on to it. And that's our faith in God, our Father. And that's the cry of John 10, learning to hear the voice And responding to it. So let's read together John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And then I'll try to expound it for you. Truly I say to you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, there is thief and a robber. And the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. And when he has brought them out, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was talking about. So he said, okay. Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and they'll go out. They'll find pasture. The thief comes only to still, to kill, to destroy. I have come that they might have life and might have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father. I lay down my life with the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. That's you all. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. Speaking of the resurrection. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. No one can take Jesus' life. Anyone that says the Jews killed Jesus don't understand Scripture. Jesus gives up his life voluntarily. They're responsible for what they did, but they were unable to do it unless Jesus allows them. He speaks in the same way in relationship to the Romans. They're not allowed to do that unless God gives them the authority and ability to do this. This command, he said, I receive from my father to the command to give his life for the sheep. The Jews who heard these words were divided, and some of them said, Is he demon-possessed? He's raving mad. Why would we listen to him? But others said, These aren't the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. And can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Two to three months later comes the rest. Two to three months later comes the rest. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem, otherwise known as the Feast of Lights. It was winter. Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us. Jesus said, I did tell you, but you don't believe the works I do in my father's name testify. They tell everyone about me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can statch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than I am, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. And the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said, hold it. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you claim to be God. Anyone who says Jesus didn't claim to be God hasn't read this section of Scripture. You claim to be God. And Jesus says, well, isn't it written in your law? I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture can't be set aside. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent from heaven into the world? Why didn't you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Don't believe me unless I do the works of the Father, but if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that I do, so you'll know and understand this. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he just walked away, and they were unable to grab a hold of him. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Where was it that Jesus first heard the the message of God, the voice of God was spoken? Jordan, right here. That's where he goes back. He goes back to his beginning. He goes back there, and he stays at this spot, and it says the people came to gather around and listen to him and continue to teach, but now he doesn't do it outside of this particular area in Jordan, where he is protected by the Father, in that place many believed in Jesus. Father, we ask that you would open this section of Scripture to us. You've had it written down here so that we can come to a comprehension about who you are and who your son is and what it means to be followers of the shepherd. So we pray that you'll teach us today as we spend just 30 minutes or so trying to understand it. We ask that as you guide us in Jesus name. Amen. This is a. Scripture that's used a lot by a lot of people, often misused in terms of this presentation of what it's talking about. John 10 is speaking primarily to the issue of leadership or failure thereof. The first section is speaking to the Pharisees, and Jesus continues down with this blind-but-now-I-see picture or idea and says, you all continue to not understand who you are, what you're called to be. If you're called to lead my people, that means you're called to care for them, to love them, to minister to them. You're called, if necessary, to die For them, are you willing to do that? And of course, they aren't. Jesus starts off with this interesting statement. They use a lot. and He says, truly, truly. In this case, he's speaking to himself and he's saying truth is embodied in the person that speaks it. If the person who speaks to you does not embody truth, then do not listen to what they have to say. If they do embody truth, then listen to what they have to say. Truly, truly. I say to you, and that's the emphasis and the direction, He says, I am the shepherd. And the shepherd deals with the sheep. He loves them and he cares for them. He says, I am the sheep gate as well. I provide a place for the sheep to come in and protection for them while they are in and then lead them out at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. We understand the picture of the sheep gate. hope you kind of get that. It's a fairly simple idea. Think of it as a picture of a simple, there's a three-way set. If you go into a cave and you bring the sheep in, they're surrounded in every place but one spot, and that's where they would come in through the cave. Shepherds would literally lay down in front of the cave that they'd bring the sheep in, and they would become the gate. No one could get in or come out without the shepherd's okay. Now, the only time this changes when the shepherd would come into Jerusalem and go through what was called the sheep gate. That was the gate in which they bring the sheep through and they would bring them to the gatekeeper and the gatekeeper would have a place set up. He would stand up and say, sheep, come. That was truly just Hey, okay, come on, let's go. Boys, girls, let's go. And the sheep who knew his voice would literally follow him out the gate. The gatekeeper would be watching. He's got his little number. Okay, there were 56 sheep brought in. Yep, 56 went out. Good, they went out with him. Periodically, some thieving shepherds would come in to steal the sheep. And they would come in and try to take the shepherd's sheep away. So they would come in, try to gather them up, and suddenly push them through the gate. A good gatekeeper would say, hold it just a minute. You stand over here and call the sheep. If they come, they're yours. If they don't, they're not. Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd who calls the sheep, and the sheep come and they follow me, and I lead them. When that Psalm 23 passage, that picture, I guide them, I take care of them, I comfort them. I am the good shepherd. He said, However, you guys are thieves, you're not shepherds at all. You're only here to take and shear these sheep or put them to death for you. You only care about you and your stuff. But true shepherds care more about the sheep than they do about themselves. Now, they all remember that Ezekiel 43 passage they'd all memorized. This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care... Of yourself. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Jesus moves on. Then he begins to speak to the issue of the shepherd itself. And he says, okay. You don't seem to get it. It says the Pharisees didn't understand what he was talking about. They were so dull headed. They're like, huh? What do you mean? I'm the leader. I'm the guy called to to take care of these things. I'm not here to take care of those stinking sheep. He says, you don't understand. He says, I'm even the gate for the sheep. The shepherd, this metaphor picture, is so powerful. He says, this is what leadership is all about. It's being a shepherd to your sheep. It's caring for them. It's watching out for them. It's making sure that your rod and staff are used for protection, for safety, for encouragement, and they know it. So they're not frightened by it when they see it because they recognize that that rod and that staff is there for them, not against them. It's in Luke chapter 22, 26. Where he talks about this interesting picture. He says, no longer among you, my disciples, will the leader be the one who has power and be involved in seeing himself as the special one as set aside for some kind of special idea or special work. Your work is to care for the sheep. You're to humble yourself as a child. Listen to my voice, follow it, and care for those that are placed under your care. You are to use the golden rule from now on, which was a new concept, and that's simply this. Treat them as you want to be treated. You are to treat your sheep as you want to be treated. You're to treat those who follow you as you want to be treated. It's not so that you can gain more. It's so that you can give more. So leadership begins to take on a whole new picture under Jesus where he begins to try to tell us that relationships mean more than goals. That relationships mean more than finishing. That relationships mean more than anything. And if you fail at relationships, you fail to be a true leader. And Jesus uses himself. He said, did I not come to serve you and to give my life up for you? If I am not the most effective, powerful leader that ever walked on the face of the earth, and I am, surely you'll learn to follow me and follow my example. When the wolves come, and they will come, To attack the sheep, your job is to do whatever it takes to protect them, even if it means to lay down your life. Now, there's a short discussion that takes place. Does he have a demon? Is he this? Is he that? They're angry because now they get it, what he has called them to do, and the tasks he's laid before them. And they're not happy with it. They're very unhappy with this picture, and they respond back and forth and say, but the problem is the works that Jesus did, he healed this man that was born blind. What are we going to do with that? Now, John fast-forwards us about two months later. So about two months later, it says they find themselves at Solomon's colonnade in Jerusalem in a time that we refer to as Hanukkah. Or the Feast of Lights. Now we know the term Hanukkah. Now most of us recognize that. And that takes place on December 25th. December 25th is always Hanukkah. Because December 25th, 164 B.C. Is the point in time in which this celebration was pulled together to be called that. I'll give you a little history along that area. In about 175 BC. Remember, we go backwards with the BC thing. About 175 BC, a Syrian king established victory over Israel and became the king of Israel. Syria was a very powerful nation at that point in time. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus loved the Greek culture, everything about the Greek culture he was in love with, the ideas, the songs, the gods, the wording, everything. So he intended to reshape Israel and all of the the area around it into a Greek nation so that they would also enjoy this wonderful prosperity that the Greeks brought in. So he introduced it peaceably to the Jews and said, this is what you need to do. You need to start speaking Greek. You need to start thinking Greek. You need to study the Greek materials. You need to worship the Greek gods. And the result was it didn't work. And he couldn't understand why the Jews wouldn't respond, but the Jewish people would not respond. So he got very angry. He moves into Jerusalem, and there's a great slaughter. Over 80,000 men are killed in the battle. And he takes complete control over all of Jerusalem. Takes over the temple. And he begins to establish now Greek thought and Greek direction by force. No longer is anyone allowed to have an Old Testament in any way or manner. No scrolls. Nothing is allowed. If anyone is found with a scroll, they are put to death. No longer are you allowed to circumcise any of your children. If you circumcise your child, the woman would be crucified with the child hanging around her neck to cry out to all the people, this will not happen. Brutal. Finally, Antiochus establishes himself so strongly within the temple that he sacrifices a pig in the Holy of Holies to God. That causes the Maccabean Revolution. That's it. Judas Maccabee and his his countrymen rise up, and they destroy him with the help of God. And he is pushed out of Jerusalem. This takes place December 25th, 165 A. 165 B.C. Okay, now, the Feast of Lights, the special Feast of Dedication, was to honor and recognize what had happened with the Maccabean Revolution. Who is now inhabiting Rome? Excuse me, Jerusalem. Rome. The Romans are inhabiting it. Here's the picture. They come up to Jesus. They're really angry. In fact, they're so angry, they're even willing to accept Jesus. They walk up to him and they say, Jesus, enough! If you're the Messiah, tell us! We will overthrow the Roman soldiers. You feel the anger? That's what's going on. Guys, no Jewish people. Look what's going on. These are intense, emotional, powerfully united against those who would try to defeat them. So they come to Jesus and they're so angry. And they're saying, if you're the Messiah, Messiah, step up, destroy these guys. We don't care anymore. And Jesus says, there was a response. I already told you I was the Messiah. I've shown you I was the Messiah. But the Messiah you want is not the one that God has given you. The one that God sent down is not who you thought it would be. Because your issue is really not about the Romans. Your issue is about sin. Your issue is about death. Far bigger issues than just who inhabits and occupies Jerusalem at this moment point in time I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for my sheep not just a short-term victory not just a I am the king how great I am I will give everything I have to give which will be my life And my shed blood will provide forgiveness for all of mankind. You will not deter me from my goal. You will not stop me from becoming the Messiah, not just of the Jewish people, but of the entire world. You catch it now? Powerful, powerful pictures that Jesus presents. I'm the son of God. I'm the gate to which all can enter into eternal life. I and the Father are one. To see me is to see the Father. To hear me is to hear the Father. Oh, my goodness. For which of my works do you want to stone me? The question was not for them. The question was for those who were outside of it, to understand who he was. I embody truth. I have spoken truth. I have lived truth. Therefore, believe the truth. That's what he means when he says truly, truly. I have a powerful clip I want to show here for some of you youngster ones. You may want to be aware of that. This clip uh, comes out of a movie that was entitled Braveheart, and it is about a man who gives up his life reluctantly, who becomes a shepherd reluctantly who causes all of Scotland to literally turn around and even establishes the King as the true man that God desired through his actions spoken and revealed. The final act of his life is to give a cry, not for mercy, To the king, but a cry for freedom. For freedom for all the people. And that's the cry of Jesus for us. His cry is I want to set my people free. I want to set them free. William Wallace is tortured and he dies with that final word on his lips as he cries out for freedom. And the clip shows the evil king, his son, who is now being established, who is going to make the change, the queen who is involved in this process, and each person that we've pictured as we walk through his life, who has been affected by his words and his actions. And then lastly, it shows his opportunity to unite with the reason that he made this stance, a woman who was killed, that he was unwilling to let her die for nothing. And he sees her as they begin to be united as he approaches the picture of heaven itself. Let's watch it. It's brutal, but it speaks. (laughs) The cry of Jesus that the world might be set free Is the cry that's echoed in the presentation. You see, freedom comes at a cost. But it's a cost that the good shepherd was willing to pay. So up to this time, the focus has been on the shepherd. Who are the shepherds? How can we declare ourselves to be shepherds? Who is the good shepherd? But now I want to change it to you. And that's, this focus is on the sheep. Because guess what? You all are all sheep. And so am I. Sheep called by God to follow Him in a special way. Now, I often hear pastors say sheep are dumb. Eh? I've heard that so many times I go, hold it. Jesus is called the what of God? The Lamb of God. So I think there's some smart sheep too. Eh? So what does smart sheep do? What does smart sheep do? I said there's five characteristics that Jesus points out here about smart sheep. Those who respond to him. The first one is they listen to the voice. Turn to the person next to you and say, they listen to the voice. Yeah, some of you go, oh, yeah, I gotcha. But that's the first characteristic of a smart sheep. They listen to the voice. Matthew 13:12 says, to those who listen to my teaching... More understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge, an abundance of knowledge. 1971, in Tebe commando raid by Hebrew commandos by a 727 that had been taken over. As they broke into the plane, they cried out in Hebrew. Get down. None of the attackers knew Hebrew. All of the people that had been placed in a position of subordination did. Most of the people responded immediately and got down. The commandos killed all of those who had established command over these people, all the terrorists were immediately killed. Unfortunately, two people chose not to respond and those two people were killed as well. When we hear the voice of God, if we don't listen and respond, please do not be angry at Him for the results afterwards. Eh? Okay? First thing is God's sheep listen to his voice. Secondly, they're obedient to the voice when it speaks. They're obedient to the voice when it speaks. Jesus speaks of that in verse four. They hear and they follow the voice of the shepherd. At Matthew twenty-one thirty-three. Jesus speaks about two sons who are together in the morning with the father. And he turns to the sons and he says, today, I need you to work the fields. This is what you need to do and how you need to do it. And the younger son said, no problem, Dad, we got it. But the older son said, I am sick and tired of working the fields, and I'm not going to do it. The two sons left, and the younger son who said, I'm going to go work the fields, headed for the beach. And had a good time the whole day. The older son who said, I'm not going to do it, repented, turned around, went in the fields, and worked and did what was needed. At the end of the day, they got together for dinner. The two sons sat before the father. Which of the two sons were seen as the obedient son? The younger, who said, I'm going to take care of it? Or the older, who said, I'm not, but did? Which one? The older. The older. Because he was obedient to God's directive, to God's stance. So what I tell brothers and sisters is that it's not so much you need to be great at breakfast. You just need to be great at supper. Okay? it's not so much what you do at breakfast, it's what you do at supper. Thirdly, the sheep know the voice, they know the voice. There's a, a TV show that's out right now called The Voice. It's interesting, the way they do it is they turn their chairs around so all they can do is hear the person singing, but they can't see them and be influenced by their looks or their mannerisms. And they choose to mentor that person and their voice on the basis of what they hear, not what they see. The picture here is that Jesus is saying, you know the voice of God. John said this way, I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the meaning. Gnosis, I know you. I know your name. I know your calling. But even more powerfully, I know your voice. Most of you people here can call me on the phone." And when I answer it, I know who you are. Because I know your voice. And sometimes I know your voice really well, but I can't remember your name. It's a funny aspect that's taking place now, but I still know the voice. Jesus says, you will know the voice. And when it speaks to you and says, go this way or that, you'll know it's the voice speaking. That's how you know his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I know his voice. When he speaks, I follow, I'm obedient, I listen. Fourthly, God's sheep are united with the voice. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this flock. And this is going to be so difficult for Peter because later on, when Peter is called outside of the Jewish people to the Gentiles, and the establishment takes place in which quickly the Gentiles will outnumber the Jewish people by hundreds of thousands of people. And that is so hard for Peter and all the rest of the Jewish people. But he says, There are other sheep that are not of this flock, they're not Jewish. Who will be brought in, but they will know my voice and will be united together. Later, Paul appeals in first Corinthians, he says, I appeal to you, my brothers and my sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church. Let us be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. God's sheep march together. We listen to the voice. When I was in the service, the reason we were able to march together is because we had one person calling out the cadence. If we had three people, we wouldn't have known what to do. But because there was one person calling it out, we all knew how to march together, in what direction to go, and how we are going to get there. We were united. The voice is the voice of God saying, this is the way to go, walking it together. Walking it together. And lastly... His sheep are always with the voice. The sheep are always with the voice. I give them eternal life. You could circle on that. I give them eternal life. Oftentimes I've done things here and I hand someone, I give them a $20 bill and they always try to give it back. And I go, I gave that to you. You can't give it back. He says, I give you eternal life. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. I give it to you. No one can snatch it out of my hand. Those who receive eternal life will always be with the Father because the Father guarantees it. Because the Father will keep you. Not because you're good, because guess what? You're not that good. Some of you know very well what I mean by that. Some of you say, well, he's worse than I am. I go, yeah, but you're still not very good. It's all in who you compare yourself with. I played ball in college and I thought I was pretty good. Until a young man came up and I realized I was slow. I thought I was really quick because I was quicker than all the other guys. I was the quickest guy on the team. He was so much faster than me, I thought I was standing still. It was incredible. I said, oh, that's what they mean by blind speed. Wow. And he had this incredible. I watched him catch a fly. He did the trout thing. The guy hits this towering home run. He comes flying over, and he literally flips over backwards like this. I can't even do it. Catches the ball and flips back. And then throws in like, no big deal. I'm going, wow. You see, who are you comparing yourself with? And Jesus says, compare yourself with me. Guess what? You're not so hot. You're just not that good. You're called to be better. But the Spirit of God is God's guarantee that he will give us an inheritance that he promised. He has purchased for his own people, not because we're good, but because he chose us. Simple, done, finished deal. And that's the end of the matter. Well, peace going to come up now as, as we close this up together. I want to tell you one final story. It's an embarrassing one, but I want to tell it to you anyway. Um, When I was 13 years old, I had this wonderful Cocker Spaniel by the name of Blackie. And Blackie was the best hunting dog we'd ever had. My dad was an avid hunter. We hunted everything. By the time I was 10 years old, I had shot everything there is to shoot, you know, and I was fairly decent at it. He was remarkable. I was fairly decent at it. Uh, so I would grown up hunting, and Blackie was his treasure. It was like he'd take that dog out; that dog would get ducks, pheasants. It was like unbelievable that this cocker spaniel had this amazing ability to hunt. So he loved that dog, and I loved him. It was my dog? I loved him. Oh, just wow, what a dog! Still this day, sorry, Blackie. Um, and one day I took him. We lived in the foothills. We lived just below the foothills, and. And we'd go up in the foothills, and we, I'd hunt up there with him. And so we were hunting some birds. I was up there with a shotgun. Yeah, in those days, it wasn't a big deal. So I'm not that old, but it really was. It wasn't a big deal. I'd go up in the, with my shotgun, and we'd go up, and we'd be hunting dove or pheasant or whatever. And the dog was just remarkable. And, but Blackie's only problem was periodically he'd get all carried away chasing the birds. And he'd go running off, and you couldn't find him. But he'd always come back and was like oh, Okay. So we got up there, and off he went, chasing a set of quail. And I was like, oh, great. Here I go again. So I chased after him. I couldn't get him. He kept running and running and running. Oh, man. So I looked for him and looked for him and looked for him and couldn't find him. And I was just, oh, well, he'll just come back later. He always comes home later. The problem with the foothills of Utah is there are canals all the way through them. And in those canals, they have very steep sides. And if a dog falls into the canal, it will be unable to get out. Um, this is silly Lord <laughs> so the worst thing that can happen is to get a phone call from the canal authorities in relationship to your dog so two days later I get a phone call and they said you know we found a black cocker spaniel this is their and they, they drowned in the canal I think I cried for two days. I'm crying now. Look at that. Okay. I was just devastating. And the reason it was so devastating is because I I really felt that I was his shepherd. And that I was called to protect him. And I failed. I failed. And as I've grown up, and God has granted me children and grandchildren, and I look upon my children, and I go, Lord, you've established me as a shepherd. I want to do a great job. And God spoke to me as in the midst of this. And he reminded me of something that I know, but I just forget it. And he said this. He said, Lee, and I know his voice. He said, Lee, I'm the shepherd, not you. And I realized that my job as a parent was not to teach them to hear my voice, but it was to teach them to hear the voice of their shepherd. Because all of us together, as we remind ourselves in the first verse of this wonderful song, it says this, and I want you to say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. One more time. The Lord is my shepherd. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want desperately to follow your voice, to obey your voice, to be known as people of the voice. Father, let that happen. Begin even today. And for those of us who have forgotten what your voice is like, I pray that today you would speak. And they might hear you in the music, in the message, in your word, in the wonder of who you are. Speak. Speak. We ask in Jesus' name.